Good morning. My name is Liz. Um, my husband Kevin and I, we lead an outward group here. We've been here for about three years and I do communications and connections here and I am going to be reading from Galatians 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. Jesus, we are asking that you would do for us exactly what Nick talked about, that you would bring us into this moment with you so that we could hear your word. Not Brandon's words, but your words from your word. What do you have for us today? God, we are asking that in your name, it's, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated, please. Thank you, uh, Nick, for that word. I needed that. I needed uh, to be present and in the moment still before our God to hear and be moved by his spirit. It is an honor uh, to be here with you guys. I've been out in Silverton the last uh, three weeks. If you didn't know, we sent about 80 people from here out into Silverton uh, to start a church in a barn. And uh, I was asked to come back here and preach here, which I humbly received because uh, it is... Uh, going to be hot out there, and I am glad to be here in the air conditioning, uh, as I'm sure all of you guys are as well. It's an honor to be here with you on a record-setting day, uh, which, is, uh, which is good. It's been a boring couple of years. Uh, it's about time we've done something unprecedented, right? Uh, so uh, it's going to be a hot day today, setting new records. Look at us go, 2021. Uh, we are in uh, Galatians 2, and when I first uh, heard that we were preaching through the book of Galatians, uh, 
I, I read through it. I was super excited because I, you know, like Galatians 5, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 6, like restore gently. There's all these like amazing verses. Galatians 3, it's like, uh, it's, you know, Galatians 5, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And Galatians 3, are you now being perfected by the flesh? There's all these like go-to memory verses, even at the end of Galatians 2. But the first two chapters is like so much narrative right? Like Paul's just like spending the first two chapters telling his story and establishing why he's uh, like has authority to be giving the message that he's been given. He's proving that he's an apostle that separates himself from some of the other teachers. Apostles directly received their teaching, their gospel from Jesus himself. So you have Peter, James, and John running the show in Jerusalem. Paul has the encounter. Pastor Matt talked to us about uh, last week. Paul's story has this encounter on the road to Damascus. Maybe you know the story. Physical Jesus shows up in front of him. The glory of the moment blinds Paul, and he makes his way into uh, Damascus and receives uh, teaching and the gospel and the revelation and encounter with Jesus himself. And so Paul is preaching the gospel he received from Jesus directly. And that's an important point here. This is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. We've entitled this sermon, No Other Gospel. We established in, in, in chapter 1, verse 7, that if you add anything to the gospel, it's no gospel at all. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're already turning to another gospel. Not that there is another one. You add anything to Jesus only, faith alone, by grace alone, if you add anything to it, it's no longer a gospel. And Paul is fighting fiercely to protect this. Because in Galatia, which is not a city so much as a region that includes multiple cities like Antioch, uh, this region has been infested with some what he calls false brothers who are adding to the gospel, specifically asking Christians who are never Jewish to become and start to adopt some of the Jewish traditions. For example, circumcision. Liz, let me know how excited she was to read uh, a new record for the number of times circumcision would be said in the reading of, a bi of, of the Bible. It's a record-setting day. Uh, she was really excited to read that passage. Uh, I promise that is not the, the focus of my conversation on this painful male procedure, but we are uh, going to extract from that why Paul would take this issue and fight so fiercely to protect this idea that you cannot add anything to the gospel. My, my kids often give me the advice, just don't be boring you know, like, if you get up there and preach, like, Dad, it was a little boring this time. Uh, maybe you can try telling more stories. So uh, I, uh, I, I, I can't add anything to the gospel. I don't want to be one of those false brothers. But I do, I do think about this narrative in terms of kind of like a movie. It's kind of, I, I found it to be a little bit more interesting when I, when I did that because, uh, you know, I get that, you know, you have to establish what happened historically so that we can look back and say, okay, yeah, this happened and this happened. And, you know, it's all verifiable because this other thing talked about that same thing. And there's kind of cross 
confirmation there. I understand that we need that history, but Paul's epistles typically are more filled with like, like deep and rich theology. So why spend so much time on the narrative? Paul, what I love about Paul is he's so concise. There's no wasted words. Unlike uh, me, I can uh, tend to have uh, quite a bit of wasted words. I don't look at a 40-minute time slot for a sermon and say, oh my gosh, I got to think of 40 minutes of things to say. Uh, I look at 40 minutes and say, only 40 minutes? That's all I got? Uh, so Paul is, is very concise. There isn't anything that he writes down that isn't essential, important. And of course, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it is, it is so essential that we understand this. And so I, I, I'm approaching these first 10 verses and saying, why is this? Why do we got to know this? Why is this so important? So track with me here. Uh, if I, as I'm looking at this in the first ten verses, I'm like, okay, this could be like a scene in a movie, right? I picture a, a western, right? Like a spaghetti western, right? So uh, Paul has his conversion uh, after the uh, you know after after a time he's like in Arabia and then Tarsus and like. Like, very, very little time. Like, never even spent any time with Peter, but was in Jerusalem for, like, five days, and then he had to leave because he was, like, super hated. And so he's, like, gone and out and on mission. And he is gone, what it says in verse 1, chapter 2. Then after, in verse 1, chapter 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. It can look like a, if it can look like a Western, I don't know, maybe this is a horrible example. Disclaimer, I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to be offended about maybe the, the, way that I, uh, the way that I explain this, or maybe I don't get the details or the dates exactly right. But I do find this super interesting because we can, this, this lines up with like Acts 15 and, and all these different uh, historical documents. But Paul essentially is walking into Jerusalem. Okay, this is around AD 49. Paul, this is like, uh, like 14, 15 years after his conversion. Uh, this is like, this is actually the Jerusalem council that they talk about in Acts 15. It's like a big meeting. It's like a really big deal, right? And so Paul's walking into town, right? Paul's walking into town and he's got Titus on one side, he's got Barnabas on the other, and he's coming for confrontation. Because what he heard was that Peter, James, and John, at least this is what the Galatians are saying. The Galatians are saying that Peter, James, and John uh, sent out these false brothers and are telling them all that they need to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, I know that they're not doing that, and I'm going to go make sure that they're not doing that. And so he walks into town and he says, you know, hey, he's, he's going to make sure, Right? Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to, to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. I'm parched today. I feel you, Nick. Where are you? Oh. Uh, I don't know. It's just a drier air or something. I don't know what that is. Uh, he went up because of a revelation and set before them. 
Okay, so this is, this is verse 2. He laid in front of them the gospel. Okay, so he comes in. He's got Titus. He's got Barnabas. And he's like, let me tell you about the gospel that I've been preaching. Right? Now, Titus is, is Greek, and he's uncircumcised. So if, if, if there's going to be a confrontation in this moment, it's going to be, it's going to be, hey, I noticed you got somebody uncircumcised with you, right? And they're going to make him do it. And, and Paul's like bringing this confrontation to a head. He's not afraid of this confrontation. And he comes up and he says to them, hey, this is the gospel that I've been preaching. And even Titus, this is verse three, uh, even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Was, was Paul afraid? I mean, it says here at the end of verse 2, it says, I was not running, or I, I, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Is he saying, like, oh, gosh, I've been out here for 14 years. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. I better go back and make sure that I haven't been doing this wrong. No, he's saying, if this is happening in Jerusalem, then what we have is, is, a, is a split church. This is a really big deal. We've got the brothers in Jerusalem thinking, acting, talking uh, differently than, than the gospel that I'm preaching. I better make sure that we're still on the same team here. But it says they didn't make Titus get circumcised. Whew. Okay, so the tension's a little bit a little bit lower. But here's, here's Paul. He's, he's, got his, he's got his fingers kind of twitching on the guns there a little bit. I don't know. They aren't actually fighting. They're like friends or whatever. But uh, the, way that, the way that I picture it, and, and Peter's like, what's going on? Paul's got his hands on the guns. He's really hot about something, right? And, and that's, that's the language that he's using, right? Like, he, he sounds really confrontational. And so he, he adds some of these, these parentheticals, uh, in there, like though privately before those who seemed influential. He has a point in this that I want to address in verse six. But if we look at verse four, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. All right, so now Paul is, is really pointing out the issue here. If this was merely about circumcision, then, then there would be just a conversation about this one single issue. He's pointing out, I believe, for us, for right now, to understand that, that there is no compromise here. We cannot add to. What is at stake? It is our freedom. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are set free from any kind of striving. We're not merely talking about our salvation. We're talking about justification. Our justification is our position with God. It was as though these false brothers, it calls them false brothers here in verse 4. It was as though they were going and saying, all right, all right, we got, we've, got some, we've got some Greeks here. We've got... Uh, some Galatians here. You guys are Christians. You're following Jesus. That's fantastic. Do you want to know about what it takes to get to the next level? They're like, next level? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second level Christianity. You hadn't heard? We've got this procedure. 
Uh, and it show, it's, it's how you show you really are in. You're really, really in. It's, it's if you want God to know you, to love you, to accept you, then you've got to do these additional things. We do this too. We have things that we add, cultural Christianity, things that we say, okay, now that you're a Christian, you've got to start looking this way, talking this way, acting this way, and doing these things. And so this is an important issue, not only for Paul's time, but for all our time as well, about just how essential it is that we do not add anything to the gospel. I want to, I want to keep the conversation specifically about this interaction, this confrontation, as we move all the way through, and then I want to move to application. What does it mean for us today? So in that, in that spirit, with freedom at stake, Paul is saying, this is something I'm not willing to budge on at all. And it's not Paul. Paul is not bringing man's gospel. Do you guys remember from Galatians 1? If you, if you have your Bibles, you can take a, take a look back if you remember. Galatians 1, 1, it won't be on a screen. He starts out with Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And again in 11, not from men, okay? In 11 of verse one, or chapter one, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Okay, so this is not Paul saying, hey, this is not the way that I designed this. This is not the way that I want it to be. This is not a power struggle. Paul, having received this revelation from Jesus, said, it can't be anything other than Jesus. We can't add to it. If we add a single thing to it, we've made it man's gospel. It is not man's gospel. Jesus gave us this. This is how Jesus taught us. I was talking with Pastor Matt this morning, and uh, he has he, uh, is, is, uh, been receiving counseling uh, from Rich Plass, marriage and personal, and it's just fantastic. Just seeing the difference that it's made, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Well, one of the things that his counselor shared with him that he shared with me is that, that people need to see the gentle and lowly Jesus. Do you know what Jesus told his disciples to do? <laughs> Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, for I'm gentle and lowly at heart. This, this is the Jesus. He is not adding anything to that. He is saying, believe in me. Jesus' words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes shall have eternal life. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. This is it for salvation, and this is it for the other parts, too. The other words we use, justification, sanctification. Justification is your position before God. Sanctification is becoming, being formed into the image of Christ. You're being perfected to steal 
a little bit from uh, Galatians 3. It's coming. I don't want to take too much from those, but I'm just super excited about it. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is what Paul's fighting about, fighting against. It is not, the gospel is not merely the ABCs. It's not just the beginning of your faith. It is the entirety of your faith. All of it is simply believing in the one who will make those changes in you and not in the changes in and of themselves. So to continue, in verse 5, to them, talking about the false brothers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He did not negotiate. He did not say, all right, all right, all right, here's what we can do. We'll have them not eat pork, all right? We'll have them not eat pork, but they get to avoid this painful procedure. Deal? Can we work that out? He did not find a compromise. This was not a construction. They did not invent this religion. They are not starting a movement this is not man's gospel. You don't get to modify it. You don't get to add to it. You don't get to take good ideas and add it to the gospel. It is the truth or it isn't. It's sufficient or it isn't. It's complete or it isn't. So he did not yield in submission, even for a moment. Why? so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. For you. For you. Like, like even still today, the truth of the gospel will not be preserved if we are allowed, if we allow others to add to it. Well-meaning brothers in this church, myself, I've done this. Well-meaning says, okay, you're a Christian now. Okay, good. Let me show you some things, okay? You got to start reading your Bible, okay, every day. That's really the best thing. In the morning's good, okay? And you got to start praying, okay? And uh, you got to be at church. You got to be at church every Sunday, okay? And you should serve too, okay? Oh, and you should probably start, stop watching rated R movies. Uh, and I've been meaning to talk to you about your cussing too, uh, you know, I don't, I don't drink alcohol at all. I mean, you know, we're free in Christ, but you probably shouldn't either. Uh, you, uh, you know, you, we, we tithe, you know, Christians tithe. You give to the church. You should start doing that. Did I, did I say anything bad, anything that, that we shouldn't be doing? Those seem like all good things, right? The problem is, is when this ends up being our justification. When it ends up being how, it, it, it's as though, it's as though uh, Jesus saves you so that you can get to work on proving to God that you were worth saving. Jesus saves you so that you can start showing God how grateful you are. Uh, Jesus saves you to get you started, but then it's really up to you to make sure that God still is approving of you. We've been going through this book, 
Uh, and I need to get through these verses. But we've been going through this book, uh, Galatians for you, Timothy Keller. Hopefully you guys have been meeting together. Uh, but one of the questions, I this questions for reflection. This is really good. Uh, do you ever feel guilty or insecure in your relationship with God? Did you know you aren't supposed to? You might have said, yeah, yeah, sure. And, and that's why I do the things that I do. The, the follow-up question, what might this be telling you about how you view your acceptance with him? How do you view your acceptance with him? If I were to ask you, what is the evidence of your salvation? Prove to me that you're saved. What comes to mind? Is it your church attendance? Is it the amount that you give? How often you pray? I, I, I'm not calling these things bad things, but is this the evidence of, of your salvation? Is this how you prove that you're acceptable by God? See, it's actually the other way, right? Because I'm accepted fully, completely, that's it. I just got to believe that's it. Because you're fully accepted, you pray because you want to spend time with them. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to, <laughs> I'm really going to get through these verses, but okay, I'm going I'm to share with you, okay. Uh, a lot of our families here have been involved in adoption. Uh, and uh, they've, adopted, they've adopted children. There's foster families here. Uh, a lot of times the kids are, are coming out of uh, just tough environments, and it's been very transitory, moving from one home to another. Uh, and, and, and we can do the best that we can. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking of one family in particular, the Haas. They, they use language like, you're now in your forever home. They celebrate that moment that the judge pounds his gavel and says, you're adopted. You're now in their family. And it's, it's, it's yours. Like, you, you, are, you, are a, you are a Haas in this case, uh, or you are a Smith or whatever it is. You are in that family, and you share in the inheritance. Your position is secure, and you aren't going to have to ever move again. You aren't ever going to have to go anywhere else. But dad keeps coming down and finding that the kid is, is keeping their room spotless. And they're like sweeping the floor. And they're like reorganizing the fridge. And they're like taking the trash out when there's like a couple pieces in there. And dad comes in and says, what, why are you doing all of these things? Nobody's asking you to do these things. And the kid says, I don't want you to send me back. Right? I, I like being here and in this family, and I'm just worried it's going to go away. And I think we approach God in the same way. Where he adopts us fully, freely, not based on anything that we've ever done. And then we start to get to work why, to, to prove why he made a good choice in choosing us to make sure that he doesn't get rid of us, to make sure that, he, that we don't fall out of his favor. And we feel guilty when we go a couple days without reading the Bible. This is why the gospel must be preserved. 
I, I, I want to get through the rest of the verses. We'll get back into the application here. Verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, a parenthetical here, what, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no pers- uh, partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now, on, this, on, the, sta- on, the, uh, the, on the face of it here, it seems like he's sending a little jab, like a little insult, uh, but he's, he's, he's not. He's making a point. He's making two points. Number one, it doesn't matter if they were influential. It's not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. It doesn't matter that, I mean, he's basically saying, like, he's, he's writing this letter to the Galatians. He's talking about a, an event in Jerusalem, that kind of Wild West story where he walks into the Jerusalem council challenging, uh, uh, you know, Peter, James, and Paul, or just to make sure that they're, or Peter, James, and, and John, to make sure that they're all still on the same page. He's telling the Galatians, he's recalling this story. He's not, he's not, he's not making a jab. He's saying, he's saying, it actually doesn't even matter that they're the ones who agree with me. He's not, it doesn't even matter that he's using them as his, as his platform. He's saying it doesn't even matter. If, maybe they could have even rejected me. It could have even been that the, at Jerusalem was falling away. There could have, that could have even happened. God would have still preserved the gospel through Paul. He's saying that you know, what, you know whose opinion matters even more is God. It actually doesn't even matter that these other guys agreed with me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. This is is maybe the most important statement here. They didn't add anything to Paul's gospel. It says right there that he laid down the gospel that he's been preaching, and they added nothing. They said, yep, that's it. That's exactly it. It's Jesus only. The same thing that saves you is the same thing that sustains you. It's the same thing that perfects you. It's the same thing that justifies you. It's Jesus only. We do nothing else. There's nothing we can do to add to that. That's it. They added nothing. On the contrary, verse 7 When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted uh, with the gospel to the circumcised, and he adds a parenthetical there, but I just want to point out the contextualization component there. He's about to say, uh, on the contrary, they accepted me and offered my right hand. We're going to get to that in just a second, but I want to pause and talk about the contextualization. Paul bringing the gospel to the uncircumcised, Peter bringing the gospel to the circumcised. It's not a different gospel. It's God's gospel, not man's gospel. It's one unified gospel, but it is contextualized. Peter is specifically uh, gifted to particularly minister to people with a mindset that they're thinking about the Old Testament law and the the revelation of God from the history of the creation of men all the way through that God had given them the, the law and the temple and the sacrifices, and and now that Jesus has come to satisfy all of those things, Peter is specifically gifted to be able to speak to those people. And Paul 
God is uniquely gifted to go and, and bring a contextualized gospel, the same gospel, God's gospel, not man's, to the uncircumcised. He's not asking the Greeks to become Jews. He's not asking the Jews to become Greeks. And, and the same thing is true for us. We're not going to go into Africa, though it's happened, and say, now you've got to start speaking English, and now you've got to start wearing button-up shirts. Right? Like, you don't have to change your culture. The gospel really is for the entire world. It's for everyone. It's for anyone. Up until this point, God had his chosen people. Jesus had in his mind that the gospel would go throughout the world. He charged us with that, and that the truth of the gospel is that it's for everyone. There's no one excluded. And we don't have to ask them to become like anything. They don't have to let go of their culture in order to be Christian. Because they have a new identity, a new uh, citizenship that is the kingdom of God that lasts forever, it's eternal. We don't have to ask them to lay down one worldly culture for another. So there was a contextualization and a unique gifting that was given to Paul and Peter. And so they had agreed in this moment to work in harmony together in the context of the culture that they're reaching. Verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised also through, through me for mine to the Gentiles. So that parenthetical there is same spirit. The same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that's in Peter is in me, and the message is exactly the same, a different contextualization. Verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul's just saying, we're unified. We're together. What's at stake here? If you took a look at, the, at this uh, Galatians for You book, the, the very first uh, part of uh, chapter two says gospel unity. That's, that's, what, that's what we're after. That's what Paul was after. He was, he was establishing that this is the gospel Unity, this is what unifies us, the central message, the gospel centrality. It has to be the center at of everything that we do. And see, Peter, James, Peter, and John, it says Cephas, it's another name for Peter, James, Cephas, and John, they're with me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. So everything that those false brothers were saying, that's not true. Me, Paul, Peter, James, and John were together. The Jerusalem brothers, and that was the result of the Jerusalem uh, council in A.D. 49. Unified gospel. Paul to the uncircumcised, Peter to the circumcised. One church. So this, this Wild West metaphor thing, it eh, probably didn't work out the way, but I, I picture him kind of leaving, like, 
you know, he comes in, finger, finger twitching on the gun, making sure, like, you with me or not, right? And Peter's like, we're with you. Okay, right? So he, he turns and he walks away, and Peter's like, one more thing. Paul turns back, yeah. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul's like, of course. And he turns around, and his face lights up. That's the thing I want to do. It's the thing I'm eager to do. Like, that's how in line we are. Not only do we believe, believe the same gospel, but it's like we want to be totally about the poor and the marginalized, those on the outside. Like, that's what, that's the thing I want to do. That's how connected we are. Why is this important for us now? We aren't trying to add Old Testament Jewish laws and rituals to this church. At least I really hope that we're not. Uh, I hope everyone here is eating bacon, and if that's what they want to do, and uh, I mean, circumcised, uncircumcised, totally your choice. It's just not, not thinking about anything like that for justification. Why is this important for us now? It is important. What he's saying, this is not man's gospel. That's not just for our teachers here. This is for each one of you, okay? Personally. I'm, 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 I'm looking around. I'm seeing some of the people that I know, people that I've talked to, people that I've that I've been in life with, and I'm saying to you personally, insert your name here, you can't add to the gospel. You can't add to it. And you're saying, I don't, I don't add to the gospel. Jesus died for me. I believe that. I'm saved. Another, another quote thing that I, I kind of talked with uh, Pastor Matt this morning, and he said, uh, this is something that he wrote down. I thought it was really good. He said, if I can tell you all the reasons I should be accepted, I can avoid repenting of all the reasons I should be rejected. You catch that? If we can keep the conversation about the good things that I do, I don't have to talk about, we can keep concealed the areas where I'm really struggling. That's, that's horizontal, okay? But what about vertical? What about your relationship before God? You know how you know that you have placed, that, that you've begun a process of adding to the gospel in your mind and you've started a self-justification process? Do you know how you know? When suffering enters your life. When something bad happens in your life and your, immediate, your, your first thought was, God, why is this happening? I go to church. I tithe. I serve. I've always been faithful to my wife. I don't steal from my work. I don't lie. I don't even watch PG-13 movies. When suffering enters your life, you start to become aware for the first time maybe 
that you are using those good things that you do as justification. You know what one of the most dangerous things a Christian can do? Try to be good. Well, you're a Christian now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about serving. Well, I, wonder if, I wonder if we should be the most cautious around the good things we do. Maybe we should be really careful. Sometimes people are like, um, boy, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I should watch uh, you know, Breaking Bad on AMC. Like, there's, there's some questionable parts. So maybe I should use VidAngel or not. I, I'm going to seek the counsel of others you know, and making sure that I'm, I'm watch, you know, using the right protections and cautions. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying like, we're using a lot of caution in, in maybe an area like that. Or how, how much is too much? Or, you know, in a dating relationship, you know, like, you know, is, is kissing okay or is it not okay? You know, like, we're, we're, we're using a lot of caution around those areas. I wonder if we should be using the most extreme caution around the good things we do. Watch out when you start doing good things. And I know, maybe that sounds crazy. Watch out, though. You want, you want, you want, to, be, you want to serve? You want to be a greeter? Oh, careful, that's the gateway, right? That's the gateway drug of, of righteousness, right? Because you, uh, you, 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 start, you start greeting and, and, and boy, that feels, feels really good. I'm super connected to my church. I, I don't want to say that this is a bad thing, but you know, then somebody's like, you know, hey, have you, are you part of a small group? Oh, well, shoot, I'm not a part of a small group. Uh, is that what people do around here? They should be a part of a small group? Okay, well, then I should be a, I should be a part of a small group, right? So then you're now, now you're a part of a small group and they start talking about tithing. You're like, oh, shoot, I don't, I don't give anything. Is that what people do around here? I should probably start giving, right? And now you're giving to the church. Uh, and, then, and then it's like, oh, well, I don't only, I don't, you, oh, you, we're supposed to give 10%? Oh, that's a lot of money. Okay, well, all right, that's, that's what we gotta do, right? And, then, and it starts to be like painful. You're like, oh, read, read the Bible through a year, in a year? Okay, I could do that. Right? And, and, and this ends up being now like how you measure whether or not you're a good Christian or, or, or whether you are a Christian. There was another thing that, that was said here in this book. It says, it says uh, if your salvation depends upon obeying the rules, then you want your rules to be very specific doable and clear. You don't want love your neighbor as yourself because that's an impossibly high standard which has endless implications. You want don't go to the movies, don't drink alcohol, don't eat this type of food. Our heart wants specific, measurable rules so that we can reassure ourselves, I'm doing this thing so I know God loves me. I'm going to church so I know I'm okay. We're reassuring ourselves with the, the good things that we're doing. And so that's why I say, maybe it's the most dangerous thing. Because what did we add to the gospel? It's Jesus plus my efforts. It's Jesus plus my giving. Jesus plus my serving. Jesus plus I don't watch PG-13 movies. 
We're adding to the gospel. Falls, Paul has fought to protect that we would not add to the gospel. You ever notice why we don't hand around a, an offering plate here? I know out in Silverton, that was one of the first things that they asked. Like, hey, where, where do we give? You know, I can't, you know, you guys didn't pass out any offering plate. It's something that they do at other churches. Not saying that that's a bad thing. But we don't want to give. I mean, we've thought through these things. We don't want to give an opportunity for you to horizontally receive some kind of justification so that people can see you give. We place them kind of in, in, in discrete areas in the back so that you're left with only two motivations left to give. One, horizontal justification. God, I gave, so now you owe me. It's like, uh, it's like a loan. God, I gave you a loan, so now you owe me like comfort and ease. So there's one motivation, or like to prove that I'm, that I'm faithful. The only other motivation left to give is you're grateful. You're grateful for what Jesus has done. And like that song was, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. That's all I have. That's all. Jesus is my life. That's something that we can celebrate. That feels like desolation because we don't have to add anything to it. It really is all we have. In case you're hearing me say that the Christian life is licentious then, you get to do whatever you want. You don't have to do any good things because if you were to do good things, you're probably going to be sinful in doing them. That's actually true. So then we need a new motivation for doing those things because Paul now will continue, and I don't want to give anything away, he will continue in saying, we are going to do those things. This church is so eager to remember the poor. And we do that through our counseling ministry that we give away for free. We just built new, two new counseling offices. Are we going to start charging for counseling? No. We do that through THX. We give meals away. Are we going to start charging for those meals? No. We are so eager to minister to both those that are poor financially and poor spiritually. And we want to give that away. And that comes through your generosity, through your giving. And so we are asking you to give. But don't give to, to leverage God. Don't give so that other people can see it and leverage your horizontal relationships. Remove all justification. Let it only be gratitude. We're going to go to communion. We're going to apply this. Uh, and, and, and you guys can go ahead and, and grab that. You guys can go ahead and, and um, 
you know, get up and, and, and grab that as that's being passed out. But I, I, you're, you're going to grab, there's two cups, there's, there's bread and there's juice. You're going to grab that and you're going to come back to your seat because I, I want to I continue uh, just making this, this one point here. You ever wonder why there's one thing that we remember every week? There's one thing. It used to be that the, the, it, that the Jew, Jewish festivals, there were seven a year, seven festivals a year. Every single one of them were about remembrance, looking forward to Jesus, remembering something that God has done. And now there's only one thing we do. We don't have any other rituals or festivals or celebrations. There's one thing we're asked to do and as often as you meet and doing it in remembrance of you, and it's communion. Do you know why? You ever thought about why that's the one thing? We went from seven festivals down to one thing. It's because it's the only thing. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing that saves us. It's the only thing that justifies us. And we can't add anything to it. And so we're not going to. We're not going to add anything to it. It's going to simply just be every week the gospel. Every week I'm going to preach Christ and him crucified. This cracker is a symbol of the broken body of Christ. And as we take it, we're going to think about not only the wrong things we've ever done, but all the right things we've ever done for the wrong reasons. Guess what? There's forgiveness for you. There's grace for you. New mercies every single day for you. Jesus says, that's why I died. It is for that reason. Take the body in remembrance of him. His blood was spilled. And as you're moving to a time of, of repentance, I, I want you to say to yourself, Jesus died so that I no longer have to, whatever it is, whatever you've been using as your justification, Jesus died so that I no longer have to. God, I'm sorry that I did that. Just drink the juice. It is the blood of Jesus that has been poured out on you. It is the forgiveness for you, a new and fresh start. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for forgiving us. And so we, move, we are moved now to be present with you and worship you with a heart of gratitude that all we have is you. We can add nothing to this gospel. It is really just you. We praise your name. Amen.